Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, we are here. Hello. Oh, nice. We are starting a cult. Hello. We're back. It's, it's us. The gang is here. It's me. It's Grant and Jake. He's, it's me, Jake, over here. He's the guy. Yeah. The other guy. I'm the other one, and Grant's the other one to me. That's true. Here at We Are Starting a Cult. Uh, hello. No, not hello. Fuck off. We Grant, are here, not the audience. To, we're here to spread the message of the Branch Davidians, as we have become official members and clientele of the group, and uh, we're here to tell you why they're just the bees. Knees, yeah, they're really. kind of our whole deal now. Uh, so be ready for a lot of that. We are uh, we are part of the Branch Davidian sect now, and we will be uh, providing you with a lot of information about these individuals. So have fun. Don't worry, because. We are going to be covering a uh, friggin' topic today, as you can tell by the title of the episode. Waco! The Waco Siege slash Massacre. Alright? Yeah, it's weird. I, it, it, it's a... Because it's, it's all the same topic, but it really comes down to where where does your interest lie? Does it lie in the rise of the cult-like mentality or does it lie in the siege and the actual violent standoff that occurred? Yeah, and the craziness that all goes behind that. Like, there's so many sides to it. Both sides look at their way as the right one. It's it's insane. It's a, it's a very dynamic topic. It's it's Ruby Ridge with Jim Jones on the side. Weren't That's the, what it is. Ugh, the 90s were just insane. Yeah, they that was fucking they crazy. Yeah. So, I mean... Like, uh, was, we just sieges were just a part of life in the nineties. It's like, yeah, we got more, just, uh, yeah. more of them hold up somewhere. We got to go in there and figure out how to take them out of here. They and were the just, hot thing that decade. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm kind of glad we don't have them anymore. No, it's true. Uh, you want to just jump right in? Like, let's let's talk about what this was for those of people that don't know. Dude, some people just don't know what Waco is. I've yeah, been discovering that there are. It, it, I think it's. It's like, oh, it's a show on Netflix. Like, I haven't watched that, but yeah, I guess it is. It's a forgotten. It's it's kind of a forgotten story because it's so. It's weird, you know. I yeah. mean, it's the same with Ruby Ridge. It's like I think even people that were alive back then they remember it, but it's not something that you yeah. think of. I mean, it's brought up. You're like, oh yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that did happen in my lifetime. 
it 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 is real. These things did actually happen. But it's uh, crazy. And, and like, there's you got everything in this story. You got cults. You got. This is a good reminder of uh, the fact that the government's always fucked up. Later on in the in the in the series, because this is definitely going to be a two parter. There's a lot to cover here. Yeah, it it's a whole. It's a. It, it's you'll a hole. see. I don't even want to get into it. It's an endless hole. I don't want to get into it yet, but we'll, it's, <laughs> you're going to see it. All right. So, uh, what, what was this Waco siege slash massacre, right? It was a siege that took place in Axtell, Texas, about 13 miles northeast of Waco, uh, Texas. But the reason they call it Waco and all that shit was because there was a lot of that, uh, uh, uh what is it, like, uh, Government officials, you know, uh, police department, they, they were all involved in it. So basically it took place in Axtell, Texas, 13 miles northeast of Waco, Texas. And uh, this siege spanned from February 28th uh, to April 19th of 1993 between the Branch Davidians and the U.S. federal government uh, and also Texas state law enforcement and the U.S. military. So the yeah. Branch Davidians got their, uh, their work cut out for them here. Yeah, they really do. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard. We, we've gone almost five minutes without mentioning David Koresh, the man who made all of this possible. <laughs> the the one true man. All of this possible. <laughs> you want to know what all of the possible things are? The siege ended with a total count of eighty six people dead. Yeah, it did. He's... Eighty. Yeah, eighty two of his people and four ATF agents. Uh, as 25 of those dead were children under yeah, the age of 10. Lots of women and children involved, elderly folk as well. Um, and this, as we discussed earlier, this is an extremely dark chapter in the United States history of internal violence in the 20th century. All right? Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's weird. It's like the anti-government people kind of got along with the crazy religious nutjob people, and they both agreed that the best way to do this was to violently hunker down and assault anyone that came near them. It's a very strange See, there's, thinking. There's sides like that, but then there's sides like the government was targeting these people for maybe evading taxes, all these things. There's we'll get into all that stuff. It, but, it is it's not, weird. I think on the whole when you see this like before obviously at the end you'll have a different perspective, yeah, yeah, I think. Sure. But when you really do analyze this from the beginning, you have to think it's like on a personal level these are just people that truly believe in something. They have faith in this individual, in the words that he speaks, and the truth that they get from it. And, yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but it's like, who are you to say that they can't believe that? Yeah, it's true. And just because it's not a particularly normal lifestyle doesn't mean it's okay to just go in and kill them. Oh, yeah. And you feel that, I mean... Again, it might change once you get to the end. It, it, you might be like, "We stopped an animal." <laughs> yeah, or maybe you'll feel the same way. I don't know. It's. A, I mean, regardless, it was a terrible year. I mean, not only was this the same year that uh, the first terror attack on the World Trade Center happened, the seizure of Ruby Ridge, which we were just talking about, uh, took place like less than a year before this. Many think that these two bloody sieges uh, were a direct catalyst of uh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols carrying out of the Oklahoma City bombing. Like two years later in ninety five, 
Yeah, it was big angst. That's where big angst. That was the, all the nineties was. That's uh, that's how Nirvana was born as well from uh, the siege. We were born right I don't know smack dab true. in the middle of it. It's hundred <laughs> percent not true, but yeah, who knows? But yeah, I but yeah, we got to get into. I don't know. I don't really know where to begin. I guess other than just with a little background on how they got to where they. Or, at least we're going to paint you a little picture on how they arrived at this plant yeah. in Texas where they lived and uh, did some crazy shit. And to get there, we just need to start with the one and only David Koresh. So, David Koresh, uh, that is not his real name. It's not. His name is Vernon Wayne Howell, um, and he was born August 17th, 1959 in Houston, Texas. His mother was a 14-year-old woman named Bonnie Sue Clark. And his father was Bobby Wayne Howell. Uh, yeah, so he already has a 14-year-old mother. Not great. Yeah, um, not great. How old was his dad, do you know? Uh, his dad was 20, or 19 or 20. Still not okay. I just wanted to know how big the difference was. Yeah, uh, but that is irrelevant because when Bonnie Sue was pregnant, uh, he ran out on her and... <laughs> He, David <laughs> Koresh, we'll, we'll call him Vernon for now, just, yeah. just for now. Vernon never met uh, his father, and he was raised by his grandmother and Bonnie Sue's mother, along with Bonnie Sue as she was a child at the time as well. Yeah, still um, figuring stuff out. His dad, uh, he met another teenage woman uh, while Bonnie was pregnant and ran off, and that is why he never saw her again. Um, So... I'm gonna, I'm keeping this real light because there's it, I'm gonna paint you a picture here with words. I love it when he you grew do this. up for a couple of years uh, on and off with his mom around. Sometimes not not around. Uh, when she was 19, she met uh, another man who was an abusive alcoholic who was now helping take care of little Vernon. Okay. And these are obviously not great things that happen. Uh, so he was neglected. Abused, things of that nature, okay? There you go. Uh, he's had extreme dyslexia, causing it, uh, causing him to almost not be able to read anything. Um, and this led to the nickname of Mr. Retardo among the middle school children in his uh, grade. You know what? Classic, simple, but very biting uh, nickname. Children are ruthless. Yeah. Um, so while all this is happening, he's growing up. Uh, he's extremely dyslexic. He finds comfort in the Bible, and he can't read. So what he does is he focuses and forces himself to read little sections of the Bible at a time and memorizes them, and then he pretty much just tells it to anyone he knows. So, again, uh, this is a combination for a guy that's going to get picked on. Uh, he's, oh, dyslexic. he's different. He's dyslexic. Uh, he doesn't know his father. Uh, he's kind of an oddball. He's a loner. Kind of got some social awkwardness, and now he's throwing Bible passages at you. Yeah, and I mean, who even knows if that's like because he finds comfort in the words themselves, or if he just recites them as like showing off, like I, I can do this. Like everybody, trust me, I can read. Mm-hmm. I can recite this shit. I read it. You, you, you know, it's it might be a trying to prove himself sort of thing. And I'm. I'm definitely going, I'm glossing over a lot. There's a lot of detail about his life that I, I kind of pick and choose here to describe, but I think one very important thing is he was uh, extremely sexually active, young. 
Uh, and but by not the, by his own decision. Uh, no, he was. Like, what? This is real. Like he I was, know that he was gang raped by a group of boys at the age of eight. They actually do not confirm that. He said it, and no one knows if it's true, only because there was never any evidence to support it. But I am aware of what you're Yeah, it, it is not to be dismissed. It really is. It's, it's the words of David Koresh, so it's like, do we take it as fact? Uh, but by the time he was 19, he was having sex with a 14-year-old girl who he ended up getting pregnant, and he skipped town for a little while, and uh, he joined uh, his mother at uh, one of the Southern Baptist Church, uh, the Seventh-day Ad- Seventh Advent Christians, those mm, crazy motherfuckers. Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, they're, uh, so he was with them for a little bit, and then he you know, bounced back and forth. Uh, he came back, actually, uh, before the woman was to give birth, and uh, he decided that he wanted to be there, but it turned out she had already gotten an abortion, and so they just ended up being kind of, I guess what you would call fuck buddies, uh, it's a little weird because yeah. uh, she's like 15, 14, 15. It is also so, like it's totally fucked up to fuck anyone that young. But oh, yeah. at the time uh, t- in Texas, the age of consent for sex or to get married with the consent of their parents was 14. Yeah, so, so that's something like, to yeah. keep in mind during all this. Like it was legal, but it is still kind of fucked up. Yeah. And, uh, it, this is where his devout beliefs kind of get a little strange because he, while he is a big believer in the Bible, he really only focuses on the book of Revelation. That is, Genesis and the book of Revelation, those are the only things that Vernon truly cares about. Old Testament is his thing. So he believes that uh, premarital sex is not against uh, religion, it's not a sin. However, birth control is, as that is a way of cheating the system. So, I mean, by the time he's 19, we kind of get a glimpse, and he's a very strict religious man, but he picks and chooses what he wants to believe and things of that nature. Yeah. So, he does that. Uh, Then, funny enough, he ends up uh, joining this other church a little bit later, and uh, he's sitting there one day, and the priest's daughter the main priest his daughter apparently really caught his eye and he was sitting there sitting there and he flips open the bible and it lands on isaiah thirty four sixteen, which states none should want for her mate and this convinced him that this was a sign from god that vernon had to have sex with the priest's daughter like that was going to be his wife. i have to i absolutely uh, have to yeah so uh Believe it or not, he got kicked out uh, of that church. He was chased out. And at this time, this is where it, it's kind of fun. He he draws a couple parallels here with Manson because around this time, around the age of 20, 21, he, uh, he's actually, a, I guess, what you would call a happy musician. He's a guitar player. Apparently, he could, like, rock out. Yeah, he was. He was good. A talented musician. Uh, he was in a couple of local bands and... Uh, Actually, some of his recordings are online. They're they're a little like choppy because they're super old. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's just you know classic rock type of stuff. Yeah, like, I listened to it. I would say he was better than Manson. Oh no, hundred percent. Way more appealing to listen. to. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so he 
this is kind of where it's believed that he got this lust for, I guess what you would call attention slash power, things of that nature, uh, importance, ego. Uh, yes. And uh, he kind of kept doing this, this, and this. And then there's one one more story I want to share. Uh, in the early days of what would become the Branch Davidians, they uh, it was just a very small sect of devoutly religious people that kind of followed Koresh's way of life. And uh, at this point, he's still Vernon. We'll get. I'll I'll finish that one out. But um, what he would do is he would explain to his constituents, I guess, or his parishioners, that it is unfair for them to be married or have women because that's his job. Mm-hmm. And he was extremely polygamous. Uh, he was a polygamist, I guess. Po- uh, polyamorous? Polyamorous. It? Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. He was really doing that hot and heavy. Uh, he was even quoted as saying that he believes he deserves to have 140 wives here on planet Earth. Interesting. Um, 140, huh? Yeah, so we we have this, and um, he kind of rises to the occasion in this early, early Branch Davidian sect. Uh, there's one guy uh, named George, and he's in the sect as well. And they kind of disagree with each other about most of their opinions on where it should go and how it works. Because at this point, Vernon believes that uh, the seven seals in the Book of Revelations... Uh, it is his job on Earth to un- like uncork these seals, unravel them, and he will be the one to bring about the apocalypse that is necessary for the world. So that's a lot of a lot of weight to put on one's shoulders. You know, that's one a lot. Year. And uh, so he George doesn't like that. And there's one day where Vernon really takes the reins, and that is when George challenges him. Uh, one of the parishioners' family members had been dead for 20 years, and he brought in the coffin with her dead body, and he said, Vernon, if what you say is the truth, then raise her from the dead. And everyone's kind of like waiting for it. They're like, what the fuck? And this is when Koresh, I'm going to call him Koresh now because this is when he becomes David Koresh. He totally flips it around 100%, 180s it, and he's like, if you believe that you're the one to lead these people, then you're the one that has to do it. And when the guy couldn't do it, everyone just loved him even more. Dude, he like <laughs> challenged him to. He made a competition out of it. He's like, "Oh, if just you think you can him. do it, then you do it." It's like, "No, how about you do it?" But then fucking Koresh like turns around <laughs> after this, and he fucking calls the police on Rod, and he's just like, "This guy's abusing body." <laughs> yeah, he's abusing a body. And then the guy, he didn't he end up in jail too. Uh, it was for an unrelated, like, murder charge, yeah, but he did end like, up in jail. All right, so, like, when it goes back to, to George Rodden, like, there were there were multiple reasons why he and Koresh hated each other. One of the main ones being that Lois Rodden, George's mother, uh, she was widowed from her, uh, her fucking husband, Benjamin. And you know Koresh was trying to sneak in oh, on that. Oh, dude, there, is a, there are many believe that the two had a relationship that went a bit outside of professionalism. Oh, I, right? I would believe it. So they were fucking, and uh, so George was like, you're fucking my mom, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> so there's like a ton of fucking shit going on. But so there was there was one meeting specifically in 1984 where the two groups split entirely, and, and Koresh, who was Howell at the time, um, took his 
sect of the Branch Davidians um, over to um, fucking Palestine, Texas. Yeah. Because they were escorted off by fucking George and his group of people by gunpoint off of Mount Carmel, which is where they were. And, uh, like, yeah, like you said, like, there was that whole competition going on. Uh, so he, he decided, uh, he's going to call the police. They were just like, oh, there's no, the police were just like, oh, there's no physical evidence. You need like photographic evidence that this is happening or we can't really do anything because he exhumed the body from a, like, uh, Branch Davidians, like, uh, burial site, uh-huh. which was on their property. They couldn't really investigate it. Uh, so what Hal does, he decides to go in and, uh, with a small group of armed people from his you know, his uh, his following in an attempt to get the evidence and a gunfight breaks out. It's a big surprise. Makes sense. Uh, it breaks out between the two groups and the police show up on the scene because they're just like, all right, well, people are shooting now. And uh, Rodden, he was shot in the arm and uh, Howell, in turn, was and his people, they were all charged with attempted murder. They got off of that charge, but like, uh, yeah, Howell and his followers all went back to Palestine, Texas to live uh, in their tents and buses for a while, because that's how they were living. They were just living in like shitty shacks, tents, buses, whatever they could, until they got back to their beloved Mount Carmel. Yeah, and it's it's funny to me, because when we, it's a very cursory overview of his life, but we definitely get a good visual as to where and how these I think it's fair to say delusions of grandeur come from this whole yeah. uh, harbinger of the apocalypse and the the might of God's word and well, God speaks to him and that's like what the whole a, thing was like based on exactly it's in a, the 1950s like the scary. Uh, the Seventh Day Adventists yeah like the Branch Davidians specifically were the offshoot of the Seventh Day Adventists that they were formed in 1955. But it was founded by Victor Hautef, or Hotef. I was thinking Bubba Hotep, but it's Hautef. Uh, yeah, just, but it's like the entire belief is based on this like prophecy of an imminent apocalypse wherein Jesus would return and battle against the evil armies of Babylon. Yeah. So they were just like, all right, it's going to happen any day. We need to be ready. He does have an obsession for Babylon because that's where his name actually comes from. That's... The last, I feel like that's the last detail we need before no, we yeah. get into it. Because if you're ever wondering uh, why he changed his name is David uh, would be King David from the Bible. Everyone, yeah. you know, kind of familiar. Now, Koresh, uh, that's the biblical name of Cyrus the Great, uh, which would have... I always heard it pronounced as like Koresh, but I Kodosh. guess Koresh would be, you know... The English Americanized version, yeah, and uh, he was the guy who freed all the Jews during the Babylonian slavery period. Yeah, it was like five hundred, six hundred BC so, around that area. Talk about an ego trip! The guy, both of his names are kings. It's not one isn't even good enough. He needs two. Yeah, he needs two kings. But this is kind of a fun little tidbit because uh, he goes back to Mount Carmel, like he's in charge. Uh, before, right before he changes his name. Uh, in 1989, Rodden kills a man, like, because he's in, Rodden's in Mount Carmel. He kills a man with an axe to the skull after the man claimed that Howell was, in fact, the prophet. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And then Rodden, he, he was convicted of murder, obviously, and he was imprisoned in a mental health uh, uh, facility in Big Springs, Texas. But after this happened, like, Vernon, at the time, who was David Koresh, just kind of moves 
moves right back in after he changes his name. Yeah, and, and he changed his name like through the proper legal channels. Oh yeah, no, this is like, legally binding. Everything that he does is within the law, but it's just all the like crazy shit you can technically get away with. Right, and it's it's funny because I mean, as you'll see later on, a lot of the, his traits from these early years they cross over the very. He's egotistical. Uh, Sleeping around, uh, sex is a big thing for David Koresh. Uh, very, I guess you'd compare him to a Jim Jones. He does not like uh, his underlings, I guess he would view them as, uh, to be in relationships because he believes that they're his relationships and they yeah. should all be shared with him. Dude, life inside the compound was crazy once like he took over and everything was, you know... Uh, how it was one other thing that I want to mention right when um, Koresh went back to Mount Carmel after Rodden got um, convicted of murder uh, they found a meth lab there that was like Doesn't not shock it was me. not a rumor like that there was a meth lab in their midst and they were just like like he, uh, what was his name Koresh he just called the police immediately he was like there's a meth lab here you guys need to come and take all this stuff away because I don't want to have anything to do with this he was taking all the proper channels. Yeah. He was staying within the law. And, I mean, that's why, realistically, that's why they were kind of allowed to do what they were doing. I mean, it's yeah. It's just because they're a very strict, strange faith doesn't mean that they're illegal. It just, yeah. he was doing everything, he was, he's the successful Jim Jones. He really, he really is. He did it all how it should have been done, and uh, he didn't do it. Still didn't end very well, but Koresh didn't have any strings to pull. All he had was charisma, yeah. and it worked. And it worked, dude. He every couple that entered the compound was made to take a vow of celibacy. Yeah, uh, it, it's like it's a common trope in cults and all that. Uh, only the individual um, who was in charge, who was David Koresh, is allowed to fuck. And uh, and this is backed up in the scripture that they so adamantly follow. Their scripture claims that in the end times, the Messiah is to father 24 children, mm-hmm. and they are to become the elders of the world wherein Jesus rules. All and right? he, he got a lot closer to that number than you think. He did. He <laughs> said, like, <laughs> Koresh was the Messiah, the prophet, in these people's eyes, so he needed 24 different women to impregnate. Now, this may all be well and good, it seems all consensual <laughs> that's all well and it's good. all well and good it's all consensual they all agree to it but then there's the part of the story that's negative which we talked about uh it lies in the ages of some of the women there weren't a lot of childbearing aged women there uh in the compound a lot of them were elderly or just not able to have kids so he kind of he, he dipped into the the younger population of women pretty quick but again it was within a lot. Most of it was within the uh, confines of the law, which is the age of fourteen. So, who fucking knows? But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And what what's important to note here? I get. I I don't. Again, this sounds bad. I'm not defending the guy. I just want it to be noted. Uh, I was unaware of this. It's uh, there's there's a queer definer. Uh, among the term pedophilia. And Koresh, while he could be considered a pedophile, he only went after women that had already hit puberty. And that, it made it almost trickier because there were times where they were looking to get him on allegations of rape and things of this nature. 
but they almost couldn't because, again, under the law, it was protected that with, with consent, a woman that is of proper age and hit puberty, it's fair game. So he never, and that's truly, just... he truly knew the law, and he followed it as closely to the line yeah. as you could. And it just worked out perfectly for him because they have to hit puberty in order to be able to bear children, which was ultimately his main goal Yeah, as the Messiah. So believe it or not, he's already got one up on the Catholics because he is not going after five to ten-year-old boys. He's going after pre or post-pubescent women. None that we Still can prove. Still is disturbing, but... Yeah. but it's not good. It's I'll for say a that. reason, you know. It's he's at least in, in, <laughs> he has a means to an end. It's not just it, being just because malicious, he's a although it is probably. Man, I don't know. It's just it's a man that is fantasizing about him being God or something, and that's how he achieves it, I guess. So it's <laughs> let it's, us be clear: we do not at all condone what he did. <laughs> yeah, but but that's almost what makes it. But he's interesting because when you look at the human side, even. Uh, like some of the recordings from when the siege takes place later, um, he's a very—I I mean, you hate to say it that way—he's a very reasonable man. Like he's as crazy as he is, he doesn't—he's not this delusional Jim Jones type of like everyone's out there get me blah blah blah. It's just he's kind of cool-headed and he yeah, because he got rid of the meth lab. And yeah, well, yeah, that helps. Uh, yeah, and it almost paints this picture of him as. He's not doing these things because he's a psychopath that wants to assault young women. It literally is the only way to accomplish his goal. Yeah. So it's the it's classic, part of his belief system. It's that classic good and evil argument of it's to everyone viewing it, it's evil, but to him, it was the only proper way to make good on the promise of him helping God. Yeah. So, and honestly, like in. Like, leading up to the actual siege, like, in 1991 to 92, law enforcement in Waco and, like, all the folks making up the surrounding population, they loved the fucking Branch Davidians. Yeah. They loved them. They were just, like, they had a reputation as good, peace-loving people, and despite how the living conditions, like, hit the ear now, uh, when when we explain it, you know, like, uh, the members themselves were happy and good members of society. It's like a hippie they, commune, you know? They're just It really religious. is. They just fucking play their drums. They, um... They, they just fucking hang do out. whatever they want. They pray and do their shit. And uh, I, I don't. I've heard this from a couple different websites when I was reading it. I, I can't confirm it, but they said uh, the like the Branch Davidians uh, around the Mount Carmel area. They were apparently very involved in. Um, I guess what do you? I can't think of the philanthropy. Ch- yeah, charitable works, things yeah. of that nature, giving back. Uh, they were philanthropic, helping with food word? drives, things of that nature. So they're. It, at least in the community, they were seen as you know normal, just nice people. Yeah, because like is is far separated from like Christianity and whatever it is. Like charity was still a part of their belief system. Oh yeah, you know? like uh, so that's good. And I think that's kind of what makes the Branch Davidians more interesting to me. It's it's it, it rides that fine line between is this a cult or is this something different? Because well. It, it it has all the makings of a cult, other than, I guess, Jim Jones, it was more of a, give me all of your money, and these people, they didn't have money, so there's really nothing to no, give, yeah. but you know? they started making money, and, oh, shit, all right, let's get into this next part, because oh, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of stuff that gets explained here. 
So, like, I mean, we were talking about it being maybe a cult, maybe a religion. There is a common thing that happens in both religion and cult, and uh, that's basically intermittent power struggle. Am yeah. I right? Am I right? That will so, happen. A member of the uh, Branch Davidians named Mark Bro. Marco Rubio. Mar- <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, he was there? But no, it's Mark Bro. Okay, bro. What's up, bro? Attempted to usurp Koresh's uh, position as prophet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, let's face it. Any, like, rational person in that group, it's like, so this guy's just in charge. He gets the nicest room in the compound, and he gets every woman here. I want to be that guy. Like, of course there's going to be one or two people who are like, we should just kill him and become him. <laughs> Pretty much. Dude, bro, bro, bro. When he was, uh, he he was consistently out profited by Koresh. All right, he was out profited with a PH, not an F. Uh, he was kicked out of the compound. He was just like, "Get the fuck out of here," said Koresh. <laughs> you're you might be and, a uh, prophet, but you're not as good as me. <laughs> you'll never be a good David Koresh, prophet, bro. Put that on fucking TLC. That's a cool new show. Hell yeah! But uh, so what does bro do? He swears revenge, bro. Uh, <laughs> bro, come on. <laughs> on uh, he swears revenge on David and his followers, right? And he began calling multiple government agencies, claiming that the Branch Davidians were abusing children and stockpiling weapons. And while there is truth to both of those, those points, statements are factual. <laughs> there is truth to both of those things. Uh, uh, I already mentioned that there was, you know, the stuff going on with the kids, but. Uh, as for the stockpiling of weapons, uh, as for that claim, in order to fund a lot of their day-to-day live life, like th- in order to fund themselves, basically on the compound, the group would just go to gun shows and buy them and resell them for profit. Yeah. So basically, they're they're just like, and that's totally legal. It's a free the, the gun show loophole. It's talked about a lot. A lot of people don't like it, but it's there, and these people were banking on it. It's kind of it's funny. It's creepily similar to the way that Randy Weaver made money in uh, Ruby Ridge, <laughs> where he was just modifying weapons and vehicles and selling them. Yeah, so it's, and <laughs> it's just a, it's a means to an end. Sawed off shotgun is a hair too short. It's a way to make money if that's what you know and that's your hobby. Why not make some cash off it? You know exactly. And it, that's the thing. It's all cash. It's not taxable or anything. Thing. And it's, it's all, all legal, and that's a big mm-hmm. thing. It's not taxable. But anyway, uh, so yeah, they're stockpiling these firearms, but they're they're looked on more as merchandise than anything else. They're not like for anything aside from profit. Yeah, it's, it's literally and, it's the same as boxes of food at like a Strax, exactly. It's just you know? like oh, there's a fucking snack pack. You know, it's it's fine. It, at the time, there were 130 people living on this compound, and there were around 225 guns. But again. It's all just meant to be merchandise. So Bro also called up the Cult Awareness Network, which had a very big hand in ultimately assisting the uh, the press in slandering this cult and starting rumors far darker than the realities of what was actually occurring. Because it was kind of a dark reality. But you know the media, you know, especially now, yeah. with their specialty with just kind of if uh, fear. If you don't fear fit into the cells, if you're not in the right mold, uh, you're definitely not going to be properly represented. I feel that way. Uh, being from Indiana, I don't know if, if other people in Indiana. I don't know if you're aware of this. If you if you're listening, uh, anytime that they interview somebody from the state of Indiana, 
they pick the dumbest, most inbred-looking, just no, bad yeah. person. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's not not everyone is like that, okay? It's and it's like, just, come on. Me and Grant know how microphones work. Yeah. You know? Like, it's like, come on. We're not all. Everybody. We don't all have, like, miles of corn surrounding us in every direction. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, not I, everyone. I've had, like, cousins, like, think, like, just that I haven't seen in a while or don't, like, live in Indiana. They're just like, so how far away are your neighbors? Like, three miles? I'm like, no. Like, I could I live in a subdivision. <laughs> I could literally, like, take a piss out my window and hit my neighbor's house. It's just a place to live. I often do. You know, it's just a place to live. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. It's the same way. I mean, We have streets. They're not dirt. Uh, We have some dirt roads. But to be fair, the branch divisions are worse than uh, your typical Hoosier. But um, (laughs) the typical one, yeah. The the point remains the same, that uh, I... they probably were not getting proper representation in the right area. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, the press was kind of going off on them. Uh, so, so this is when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, uh, they get involved. Okay, the ATF acquires a warrant uh, for the compound under suspicion uh, that the Branch Davidians are stockpiling guns, uh, illegally modifying guns. They're not paying taxes on guns. That's a big thing. Not paying taxes, why else would they want to go in there? But anyway, uh, and, and that wasn't even half of what was mentioned in the warrant that the ATF acquired. Because about two-thirds of the warrant covered the sexual abuse allegations, which, while extremely valid uh, of a thing to investigate, uh, the ATF had absolutely no jurisdiction regarding sexual abuse crimes. So it's yeah, strange that they, they were to go in there and most of the warrant had to do with that. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, ATF stands for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. I just said that, Grant. And, uh, well, yeah, no, but I don't know if you can uh, understand <laughs> that uh, the word children is not in that title. No, children shouldn't anywhere. be involved in alcohol, tobacco, or firearms. Yes, if anything, if there is any type of government organization that is the most oppositely related to children it's probably the atf just a thought i don't i don't just know that a for thought. a fact Ugh. but uh so david koresh was he was relatively unbothered by a lot of this stuff that he was hearing because uh, they were investigating right so the the uh the local gun store that in waco that the branch davidians sold their guns to uh was visited and questioned by the atf about the branch davidians and david koresh specifically and uh, so, uh, freaking uh, the owner of the gun store called up David Koresh, who told him to send them on over to the compound because he felt as though he had done he had nothing to hide. Because in actuality, he really didn't. Yeah, because really, again, he was all within the law. He's doing some shit. It's like, yeah, he's got some shit. He's got some skeletons in the closet, but they're not enough to do anything about yeah. it. You know. But like part of this openness and welcoming. Uh, this welcoming sense that Koresh gave off to the ATF was partially due to the rumors that were going around uh, Waco of the possible raids of the compound because the ATF agents were literally openly just telling the press. They're just like, we're going to go get them. Like, we're going to go get these fucking people. We're going to raid them. <laughs> we're it's just like, what down. the fuck? <laughs> so, like, so, so they're reading this in the newspaper. Yeah, that's it's probably like, not healthy. It's insane. But uh, here, wait a minute. Oh, God. So, uh, they're reading this in the newspaper, but apparently the newspapers weren't supposed to be releasing these stories because the ATF wanted the element of surprise. 
But that was like obviously out of the question at this point, and it's honestly just hard to believe. Because after Ruby Ridge, the ATF was looking to regain some favorable looks in the eyes of the public, you know? Because um, that happened less than a year before this. They definitely did that. Yeah, what better way to do it than to promote this plan that they had to raid a cult's compound and quote-unquote save the day, you know? Uh, they, so they're trying to make uh, themselves look good at these other people's expense. And here's where it gets into it. On February 28th of 1993, over 100 ATF agents, three helicopters, and a news team that arrived a half hour previous to the two aforementioned parties approached Mount Carmel compound at 10 a.m. Dot, dot, dot. And that's where we're going to end this episode uh, today. You're right. Because there's so much fucking more and we cannot fit it all in this episode. Exactly. And another big reason is because... I mean, the, to understand how the siege happened, you have to fully digest how we got there. Um, and there's a lot. I mean, there's a I lot I feel like of, we were just kind of rapid fire just now. With all we the were. It, was, you, it takes time to digest that shit. We went very bullet point-esque, and I like it. Um, I think it's funny because David Koresh, you, you could kind of operate an episode like this similar to a true crime episode where it's like a profile followed by the crime followed by the what came after because he is that complex it's yeah i mean but it's also like there are two even sides to this that many people believe like but many people believe both sides of this party oh yeah of this like dispute of this like this whole fucking shebang so like you you we kind of want to try to cover both sides of it, see what's tenable, what's not on either side. Oh, absolutely. Because we don't want to, you know... I'm honestly... We want to be impartial as we can, but some of this shit is like, what the fuck are these people doing? It, <laughs> like, yeah. It, the government's crazy, and these people are also crazy. It's a Ruby Ridge situation. It's like, you're not really supposed to love anyone involved, but it's just a crazy fucking story. It's not, it's not great. And mostly, I I keep getting caught up on the fact that he truly, truly believes that he is the man that will bring about the end of days. And it's not that it's a bad thing, it's that it's necessary. He's like, this is what we've been waiting for. It's sick, I swear. Bro. And some of the, there's there's one story uh, I I left out, but I'll, I'll throw it in here just because it's a little entertaining, it'll lighten the mood. All right. Um. They're in Genesis and in um, the book of Revelation. There are plenty of mentions of, I guess, uh, well-endowed women. Um, more importantly, in Revelation, it's being the whore of Babylon. So just big tit women? Yeah, and at a very, very young age, or relatively young age, around eight or nine, uh Lil Vernon would draw these uh, extremely large-breasted women and hang them up all around uh, the area. And his mom was always so confused as to why, but she never really did anything about it because it he wasn't interested in it for the reason you think it was. It, it was his love he of was, the Bible. He was literally doing like a caricature of his religious studies. Exactly. <laughs> and it's That's hilarious. I would... It's just it's goofy little shit like that. Like he's he's almost someone I would argue when it comes down to people that ruined a lot of lives. 
he's the one you might feel the most bad for because this guy truly he just wanted some attention. That's like what he, he really wanted. did is yeah, mm. and he couldn't get it from his family. He couldn't get it. Uh, well, he didn't have any friends, so he couldn't get it at school. Uh, he tried the music route uh, that I don't know. I feel Honestly, like he, he got some clout from that. They never really say what happened. I think it really just kind of didn't pan out or something. Yeah, like because I mean, they never really like I said they. He was in like a little local band, but they. Uh, I I know the drummer was uh, a part of the Branch Davidians with him, so he stuck around a little bit, and yeah. I I imagine they. Uh, they probably jammed out a little bit, you know. Probably they had time. just like you know, in, in the downtime. Speaking of just like the population of the Branch Davidians, like there was some. It wasn't just like people that, it, like in a lot of cults, like people a lot of the time think that they're just like weak-minded people who are just followers. Yeah, or because maybe they are called person. followers, but like there were all sorts of people. There were elderly, young people. There were there there were Yale grad like graduates there. There were all types of people with many varying. Uh, uh, levels of intelligence. Some people very intelligent. Yeah, he so just, he, he spoke what it was they just, wanted to hear. Yeah, it was a belief system. Like he he was doing the dang thing. And I I don't know. I think it's important to note that it it this is a topic for a whole other podcast. But kind of what I mentioned earlier, the whole is it was it good or was it evil? And if you look at it through the eyes of David Koresh. It was good, I guess. I mean, he and most the goals most were getting achieved. Every, yeah, pretty much every single member, with like maybe one or two uh, exceptions, they also thought they were just like, "This is amazing," and they're not hurting people. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, you know, there's the rape, that, yeah, uh, but guess. that sucks. Like, you can't do that. But that there's, they're not like killing people with their bare hands or guns yet. All right, and it's not a. Uh, Jonestown type of almost where you're scared into it or you're forced. Yeah, there's no way out. There's no plan B. This is very. I mean, I don't. I don't really know of any situation where people wanted to leave. But as far as anyone's aware, there's never anything against uh, just not wanting to be a part of it anymore. Like, yeah. if you just felt like you were done, you could. I don't. Yeah, you, you could just go. Like that. Even later on into the actual siege, like. David Koresh was like, you could leave if you'd like. Yeah. It's... Like, there is nothing keeping you here except for your belief, and if you believe it, you can stay. If you don't want to stay, you can go. Pretty much. he He's it... like the most reasonable cult guy <laughs> like or, uh, that I've ever heard of. That's I mean, why like... it's funny, because I, to me, I mean, I guess if, if you want to get technical, I guess it, it could be a cult, but... I, I don't know. I wouldn't put it in the category only it's because culty. it is. It's culty. It's extremely culty. It's diet. But I don't cult. know if I'd take That's, that why away. It's like the sweet and low to sugar, you know? <laughs> diet cult. Yeah, that's what it is. It's it's there. All the makings of it are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just the way the rules that are put in place make it slightly not culty no, while yeah. it still maintains that status. Yeah. Um. Yeah, diet cult. I'm gonna. Diet cult. I'm gonna I, we got to trademark that. We're gonna be rich. Oh yes, put it on a shirt. <laughs> Just get the diet cult. <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> but um. Yes. Yeah, that is part one of the Branch Davidians slash David Koresh slash Waco siege. The Waco siege in Texas. There. 
And we will get to the violence that you so crave uh, on Friday of next week. It'll be good. It'll be endless. It'll be senseless. It'll be very bloody. Uh, so if that's what you're looking yeah. for, we next, next week is the time. But this is just the little uh, little stage set. Yeah, we're, we're prepping you for what is to come. So be ready for that. Uh, email us at uh, startacult at gmail.com. And you know. proceed to follow us on all of the shit. Absolutely. Uh, yes. On Instagram, we are we are starting a call, and on Twitter, it's uh, start cold. And uh, we got the Patreon link below. We got those episodes coming out with the original writing of me and Grant and some fucking movie reviews. We just pontificate on it, and it's amazing. And we love you. And uh, we are starting a cult, uh, not a diet cult, but you know, I really like that phrase. So maybe we'll we'll take it on. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what we want. We want fun it's like a fun cult <laughs> the fun cult speaking of fun cults dude david koresh gave the kids fucking go-karts there were go-karts at mount carmel that's fun isn't that oh, that's so fun why would you gotta keep them entertained somehow right? you know yeah and he he can't read so he's not trying to make him read he's just like go oh, have fun he can't read <laughs> you know he can't read but uh yes yeah, uh, so yeah. we will see you all in a week have a great time uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it, go Bears, but, uh, you know, that's not going to happen. That's, that's fruitless. I know uh, who we are, so that ain't never going to happen. But yeah. uh, we'll be back Friday with part two, so we will see you all it's then. It's extremely true. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.